Second Corinthians eight, ten through nine, five. If you would join with me in prayer, and we will read the word of the Lord. Father, we look at this text, and I stand in awe at your purposes, at your plans, and your provisions. And yet, Father, it is even in your power. Help us, Lord, to have ears. Father, in this day, in this age of materialism, Father, may we understand that we are here for the eternals, not the temporals. And Father, may we take that to heart as we look at what the Corinthians did and the churches, the Gentile churches. And your power, and you placing in their hearts this desire, this eagerness, this readiness. Father, may we be the same to step up, to see what you're doing, rejoice at what you're doing, and be overwhelmed with gratitude and the privilege of helping to provide for the doing of it. What an awesome God. Help us to hear, Lord. Help us to see. In Christ's name, amen. Beginning at verse 10 of chapter 8. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply to their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply to your need, and that there may be equality. As it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord, and we have sent along with him the brother whose fame and the things of the gospel has spread through all of the churches. And not only this, but he also has been approved by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show readiness, taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches of the glory of Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal stirred up most of them. 
But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. We've been in this text for a while. Eight and nine is basically giving. Two chapters, the reconciliation of the church in Corinth, you've seen in chapter seven, after all that had gone on in the first Corinthians, uh, he writes this letter. You see that there's a restoration between the relationship with the queen, between the Corinthian believers and between um, Paul. But there would still be some tension. One of the things that I have noticed, I have a, a two volume set on church history. And it basically starts at Pentecost and, and comes into uh, the early 70s. Uh, and it's very, very well written uh, manuscripts. Uh, and and in, there's one of the things that I can watch and it's historical. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I have watched is God's people give. And they always have. I mean, you can go back to the birth of the church in Jerusalem and they so overwhelmed with numbers in just a week or so that people were selling their property so that they could meet the needs of all these people uh, who basically didn't have a job. And one of the things that I have watched throughout history of the church is that God moves his people's hearts. And, you know, and I think a big thing is, is that the hearts of believers are moved because of the gratitude for salvation. Okay. But one of the things that we have to ask ourselves, and I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're visiting. Uh, I don't care if you're part of this fellowship is where do I give? Okay. What am I to give and how do I give it? All right. That's chapters eight and nine. Okay, it's that simple. Um, and listen, I did not just crawl out from under a rock. I have seen a few scandals myself. Okay, and I wonder about what they call campaigns to raise money. And anytime I hear someone say we are having a campaign or we are having a stewardship drive, I immediately get these little flags that step up and says, oh, really? <laughs> okay. And, I, and it, because I have seen the corruption of it. Uh, and we all have. I mean, in, uh, in all of our lives, we have seen it. There are millions and millions and millions of dollars that go to churches. There are m millions that go to ministries. And you know what? There is about that much is misused. So many purposes that I see. I've seen a commercial. I, I, I like pets. Okay, I'm not motivated. You know, I don't think that, you know, everyone needs to have a pet. i seen a, a commercial yesterday. Okay. With dogs chained in dog houses and kitty cats in little cages with fake snowflakes falling on 
in the front of it, and they were singing Silent Night. Uh, what? Okay, listen. I, animals are mistreated. I, I know. Silent Night. Why not Grandma got ran over by a reindeer? I, I don't know. Just, that's, you know, but they, they were wanting me to give to the Association for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And I, I'm sitting there thinking, you have got to be kidding me. I, they're playing the music, but it's obvious they've not read the words. Um, and, and I, and I, and I see that I, so many purposes of people, quote unquote, wanting us to give, um, how do I say this politically correct? They're not biblical. They're missing the priorities or they've got the wrong priorities. Uh, and you know what? Um, as, as a person who gives, um, I, there's times that I grow a little gun shy. I remember talking to some friends right after the uh, socialism collapsed in, in Russia within that first year. Uh, the Ukraine really opened up. And uh, a dear friend of mine and his uh, teaching team were in Kiev. And they had, we were in a hotel. They were uh, ministering to a number of pastors, a group of pastors conference. They had brought a bunch of people in from the Ukraine into a local place. And we're going to spend a week with them. And they looked across and there was a man. American. It's funny. You go to Russia. Americans sort of stand out. They're different. Uh, and they were American and he had a camera. And uh, so they introduced themselves, said they were from America and they were from a ministry. OK, if I mention the ministry, you've heard of it. And they said, well, what are you doing in the Ukraine? He says, well, we are going around different churches and places of worship and we're photographing the, the worship and, and, and what's going on in these churches that have this new life to come forward. And he says, well, are, you know, are you teaching or what? He says, no, we will take it back to our church and then we will play it on the screen and it will increase our giving by about 23%. Okay. That was the plan. Listen, I know a lot of this goes on. Uh, we all know it goes on. And you know what? There are times that we stay away from giving uh, because we are in fear. It has actually given birth to an organization, the ECFAA, the Evangelical Church Fundamental uh, Accounting Association. And it is a group of people who are accountants. And they audit books of ministries and churches. Okay. This is not hard for me to understand. I look at my society uh, and I would say um, in a loving way, it is extraordinarily materialistic. OK, I would say that our society has an overwhelming love for money. All right. Uh, those people are in the church. I have seen in the church that money is the master of many. People are more interested in stuff. Right. Even when it's ministries, I visited a church this week or a week, two weeks ago. And if I had the money they had in light fixtures, uh, I could probably reach the world. Um, my question is, when it comes to churches and or ministries, my question is always this. Are they really doing what they say? 
Okay? And the second part of my question, this is what they say. What are they accomplishing? All right? Um, 810 through 95 helps us by giving us some standards. I've got nine points that you could look at as standards on integrity of stewardship. Our stewardship. Um, ministries we are giving to. The primary thing that a Christian should give to is the church. That's the entity that God put in place. There are other things that you can give to. But the primary giving of a, a Christian should be the local church. Um, when I look at this text, 8, 10 through 9, 5, I, I see it as a gauge for me to measure the appeals. I get daily appeals to give, to support, to come alongside, to walk with, to encourage. You name it, they got the verbiage. Okay, um, how do I use my own giving? Okay, uh, this section is very good. It covers a lot. Uh, This section is so uh, comprehensive, it covers those who are collecting the money, it covers those who are receiving the money, and it covers those who are giving the money. That pretty much covers it. Okay, in its context, all right, it is to help the poor, many, many poor believers in Jerusalem. Okay, and their needs were needs. They were the basic needs. Food, shelter, basics. Okay, This group of people in the church in Jerusalem were persecuted. They were pilgrims. They had no employment. And because they were believers in Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, they had no opportunity for employment. But it wasn't like they could go to the second Jerusalem church and in that way find a job. It's not there. I've had people come here and ask me, do you know of any jobs? Not really. I know they say that the economy is better, but I still don't know of any jobs. Okay. Um, Paul is wanting a collection from the Gentile churches, plural. Okay. Because Paul is, is what I call understands the wowness of the church. Okay. I, 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 I beg that and my prayers daily for the body of Christ is that we come to understand the wowness of the church. There is no stronger entity on the planet Earth. And yet we all just sort of go through things, doing our butter. Okay, that's why I see churches today who have grabbed a hold of business models to quote unquote grow. Why? You do not understand the wowness of the church. Paul understood it. Paul understood that the church was one. You don't make it one. It is one. It is Jew and Gentile. The relationship was unified in the body of Christ. And the Corinthians had been involved in this specific task for over a year. They understood the needs. It had been explained to them by Titus. Titus was a Gentile. 
Paul's integrity had been assaulted. You see that in 1 Corinthians. You see that because of the writing of 2 Corinthians. And you see the restoration of it, or the severe letter. And then you see the restoration of it in 2 Corinthians. But you can bet the farm there's going to be an underlying issue that lays there. And he was careful how he dealt with this money. He says in verse 20, this was a generous gift. The word generous is the word we get massive from. It was going to be huge. Why? For one thing, it was going to be a multiple churches. All giving for the same task. Throughout time, people want to scandalize the church. Okay, the church is a target that lost people want to bring shame to. They scandalize God's people. They scandalize God's servants. Peter tells us that the enemy is always on the prowl. We want to discredit the church. I mean, one of the reasons Martin Luther left the Roman Catholic Church was because of the way they handled wealth. He couldn't believe it. They wanted to discredit the church. They wanted at this time to discredit Paul because it was going to be a large offering. You've got to understand the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is the first mega church. I mean, I can conservatively say within 12 days, they grew to 20,000 people. And I'm probably low on that. Okay. This is a few years later. So there would have been a growth and dispersion of some of the Christians to other areas. It's still going to have thousands of people. And it's still going to be based on pilgrims. It's still going to be based on people who don't have a job. He's already told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse, T, verse 2, the first of every week, everyone is to set aside for this offering. Okay. But we also know that there will still be people in the Corinthian church wanting to discredit Paul. Okay, I have walked with the Lord for almost 30 years now. And I have people who knew me before Christ who are still waiting for me to fall. What patience they must have. Okay, because they're saying, well, no, it's not real. Well, all right. Okay. When we go back through these points, I can show you that giving in verse 10 is that it's voluntary. Nine points of integrity. It's voluntary. He says, this is my opinion. Okay, you know what he's saying there, right? It's not a command. I have the authority to command it, but it's not a command. Okay, it is to your advantage. Okay, but it is to be of your heart. Second thing that we looked at. Finish it. Be faithful. Giving is faithful. Finish what you started. If you were eager at the beginning and you believe God was leading you to do this, then God just lost interest and isn't dealing with it anymore? What? No. You see it through to its completion. We have an opportunity this year, and I will mention it next Sunday's offering, to give to the summer camps in Russia. If you're questioning these summer camps, then I will tell you now. File for your passport. I will make sure you got your visa and I'll have Valeri pick you up at the airport and you can go spend the week with them. I have no problem with that. You will be stunned 
And I think you should all go. And I'll take a week off here. Do some fly fishing. Something important. Okay? But you see what I'm trying to get at? I, no, go see these people. They'll rock your universe. But be ready to be heartbroken when you have to leave them. Because it'll break your heart. Finish it. Be ready to start. Be ready to finish it. Third thing is, you give as one has. You don't go into debt for ministry. Jesus Christ, do not reach the lost with MasterCard. Okay? Give as you are capable. Some of us have gotten ourselves into some financial pickles. Repent. Fix it. Sell assets. Get yourself into a position where you can help. All right? You give, you, you can't give and you're not asked to give what you don't have. Fourthly, the word that you see there, equality, is, is for me right now in the political environment we're in, equality drives me nuts. That is not the word in the original language. It's balance. It is a balance in the body of Christ. I'm going to ask you guys this year on the fifth Sunday of the month to give to the love offering to help saints in this congregation. I want it to be sacrificial. I want it to be above and beyond your normal giving. On the fifth Sunday of the month, we put it in the love offering account. It stays there. And that money is only for the saints of this church. All right? Fifthly, now that I've made those two proclamations, it is the integrity of giving is based on the submission to the authorities God has placed over us. The church leadership, the pastoral. We've seen that Paul and Titus were in agreement. There was an eagerness in Titus's heart that you already knew was in Paul's. And, but the eagerness was on Titus's own accord. So you've got two leaders in the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul and Titus, and they are in agreement that this offering from the Gentiles to strengthen the Jewish believers in Jerusalem is God's will, and let's do it. So you have a plurality of leaders that says, this is right. I stand as a plurality of leaders right now saying, listen, I've got... 17 pastors that I have worked hand in hand with in the lands of Russia. And we agree that their greatest evangelistic event is summer camps because the, uh, the city about the size of Colorado Springs sends all of their kids out of the city because there's no air conditioning. And they go out in this little country place that's full of mosquitoes. I'll warn you ahead. But it's full of mosquitoes. And they have the kids out there and they get carried away by bugs. No, uh, <laughs> they, they spend the week with the gospel. And they've got a lake out there that many of them get baptized and they go back to their parents' house and say, Mom and Dad, for dinner tonight, I shall pray. And they're reaching the next generation. That's submission to the pastoral leadership. Godly shepherds. Godly shepherds. And the only way you know what a godly shepherd is is to be involved in the church. Titus was a man of doctrine And if you want to see godly men, there'll be a men of sound doctrine. Okay, now that's the the review. Now we're into point number six. It's going to take me two weeks to get through this. So I hope you packed a lunch. No. (laughs) The integrity of stewardship, giving for accountability, giving for accountability. Why? 
Paul had accusers of his character, of his integrity in the Corinthian church. They were still there. How do I know with this large amount of money, he will not misuse it? Okay. Like I said, verse 20 said it's a very large amount of money. And they had already questioned his integrity. You can read through chapter 11. You'll see points that he kind of refers back to it. Okay. Question is, is he a deceiver? Can you trust him with this large sum? They've already made accusations. What happens? You know, we thought he was kind of a schemy guy anyway. Why would I give him a big, large chunk of money? Okay. Look at verse 18. We have sent along with him. Okay. Him is Titus. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. Okay. With him. All right. So Titus is taking this letter. Okay. This letter that you're reading right now. Second Corinthians. Paul's writing this. He's going to give it to Titus and the brother. All right. Now, I watched people doing all kinds of theological yoga to try to figure out who him is. Okay? And I've heard them all. Okay? But I, you can't, I can tell you who it is. It's him. The Corinthians would know it'd be the guy standing next to Titus. Okay? That one. Okay? But, they would have recognized this man, whoever it is. Now, I heard him try to tell me it was Luke. Well, Luke did preach. And, you know, he was known for the gospel, except for one small problem. Second Corinthians was written about four years before the gospel of Luke. <laughs> so how do he... Well, he's going to write a book. <laughs> Let's, you know, all right. Uh, so... He didn't give his name, but he was well known. Okay? They would also know him because, look, there's Titus, and there's that guy with him that is well known. And who is he well known to? The churches. The churches. All the churches. You know, there's people, I can throw out names right now, that most of you will know who they are. There are people who are well-known in the evangelical community. But I can go to India and use the same names and they go, Oh, no. I remember this little Bolshevik come up to me. And he's got this, I call him Smiling Jack. He's got all gold teeth. Okay. And he's just smiling all the time. I mean, it's just like glitter. Okay. He's the guy I told you I was riding in his Lada. And when you come to a stop sign, smoke would come up out of the hood. From the oil blowover. And then we were, we stopped down in, in the southern part of Orel. And <laughs> the front bumper fell off. And he jumps out and picks it up. And puts it on a luggage rack on top of the car. And he's just smiling the whole time. He can't speak English. I can't speak Russian. And we're just driving around happy. He gets my interpreter. And he says, he wanted to ask me a question. And I said, what is it, Misha? And he says, do you know Charles Stanley? <laughs> I was like, what? And he says, he really likes Charles Stanley. And I said, is Charles Stanley on in Russia? Oh, no. <laughs> well, how does he know Charles Stanley? He's seen one of his books. I says, well, is it written in Russia? No. 
So what's it got pictures? I, I don't I don't understand. He says he had someone interpret it to him, and he really likes Charles Stanley. And he said he'd wanted me to tell tell him that he really likes Charles Stanley. If I was going to see Charles Stanley, tell him that Smiling Jack likes him. <laughs> so I don't. This man was known. The Corinthians knew him. So did much of the church. Okay, He was known, and if you look at the text, he was known because of his preaching. And the things of the gospel has to do with his preaching. He was known as a proclaimer by the churches. This adds another one to the credibility of the Apostle Paul. He has Titus on board. Not because Paul ordered it, but he also has this person of fame on board. So he's got a plurality of church leadership that are saying, we need to do this. This one is given the care of this generous offering. It's not Paul taking care of it. It's not even Titus taking care of it. It is a brother known by all the churches. He was famous. He was known for his preaching. Listen, let me give you a little footnote right here. Churches are foolish to give to lesser men. You got that? In the New Testament, the care of the money was always given to godly leadership. The first offering in Jerusalem, the money was laid where? At the foot of the apostles. All right. Those who stood out, godly, were the most trusted. Many don't understand this. I have seen this corrupted in the name of being accountable. And it's always been mind-boggling to me. You have the pastoral body. You have the elder body. You have deacons. And then you have the trustees who take care of the money. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. When I first came to this church, the guy who took care of the money, the reason he took care of the money, it was he was uh, a CFO for a major corporation. That made him take care of the money. But I can also look back at his life and says, he was not one of the godly ones. He might be good with a calculator. But that is not the reason that they should take care of the money. This man was a preacher and he was known in all of the churches and his character had been evident in all of the churches. Where they are in the chain of spiritual strength, that's the guys you want taking care of the money. You got that? You know, you know what's amazing about that? That is so logical and yet never even considered. I watch people says this person will be head or treasurer or trustee or whatever because he's an accountant. I, no. I, that's ridiculous. You want the godly people taking care of the money. What are what is that individual's biblical insight? What is their character like? Do they know the mind of God? Do they walk close with God? They chose this brother not because he was an accountant, 
Not because he was a financial planner. Not because he was a banker. He was chosen because he was known as a proclaimer of the gospel. Interesting concept. And his character was known through the churches. Verse 19 adds, not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches. It could have been Paul and Titus says we recommend such and such. And the churches, because it's a multiple collection from multiple churches, they want accountability and they got one guy who was known among all of the churches. Listen, if they were getting money from the church of Rome, they didn't know Paul. It's a Gentile church. And they were collecting money from the Gentile churches. And this guy was known. He says he was known by the churches. And he was appointed by the plurality of churches. Because this was going to be a large, a generous, a massive offering. And he will take the care of it. See... It wasn't just Paul's choice. It wasn't just Titus's choice. Okay. Paul and Titus were working together. But all these churches were going to be involved. What if you do? Um, we don't know that Paul ever went to Colossae. What if they're giving? We don't know if Paul went to Laodicea. What if they're giving? What about Sardis? What if, we know he was in the Galatian area. All right. He was in Ephesus at the time of the writing of this letter. They may have been giving too, but this guy would have been known in that church too. All right. Now, I, I want you to think about this because, listen, I want you to be emphatic that it's not that Paul couldn't be trusted. Okay. It's not that Titus couldn't be trusted. You know what the problem was? People can't be trusted. All right. And then what I mean by people is not, well, what if Paul stumbles and goes to Vegas? Okay. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the critics can't be trusted. All right. They're always there. This was to protect Paul and Titus from the critics. It keeps the false accuser from having any ammunition. Mishandling of money, this plurality could be trusted. But the people are seeking to destroy Paul's ministry. And they can't be trusted. They don't quit. You can prove a false accuser wrong... They'll shut up for 10 minutes and then start all over again. They love to assassinate character, especially the people that threaten them. So you put in place an unbiased person or people appointed by the churches with the responsibility to stick to the plan. I remember my second trip, third trip to Russia. Uh, I was in Moscow. I, I was gathering. Um, they had just published MacArthur's commentary in Russian. And I was getting a suitcase full of these 
Roman commentaries. I was teaching the book of Romans, so I had this together. Yuri Sifko comes, he says, come to my office. And I said, all right. So I go up to Yuri's and he, he says, you know, he, he was giving me a bunch of attaboys that they really like me in RL and I, I'm common with them and I have a lot in common and I teach well and all this other stuff. And I, I, and you're just sitting there thinking, I feel like I'm being set up. That's just the way I am. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> when, when people walk into my office and says, first of all, I want you to know that I love you. It means I'm about to get stuck. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> it's just like here it comes, yay! So he comes, and he says, "I need you to do me a favor." And I said, "What's that?" And he says, "We have an offering from your coalition that's in American dollars, and we want you to take it to Orel." All right, he says, "We have a money belt. You just put the money belt on, keep it on, and give it to Valeri when you get there." And everybody in your coalition and in Orel says you can be trusted. Wow, all right. So I put this stupid money belt on. I wrap around, pull my sweatshirt over, to get on my train, my bunch of books, and go to or down there. And I go, and I said, Valeria, I got something. He says, yes, I know. And uh, so we go walking in. It was $30,000. <laughs> and I was like, dude, where does that train stop? <laughs> but anyway... But but I didn't know how much it was. All I knew was a belt. I was like, I'm riding around $30,000 around my waist and a bag of books. <laughs> Why don't I, you know, it's probably better I didn't know <laughs> what was in it. Because I, I ain't taking no money <laughs> in a country I don't even know how to read the signs. <laughs> okay. Stick to the plan. We know it inside and out. There's times that I know it inside and out. There's times that you just said, here's a need. Let's take care of it. This brother had been appointed by the churches. He was known by the churches and he traveled. He will be traveling with us. I was known by the churches, the church in Moscow and the churches in Orel. Okay. The churches that had given the money, they all knew me. Okay. So, you know, I'm glad they didn't tell me nothing. Okay. Paul says it will be administered by us. Okay. It'll be administered by us. But he is there so that the churches have a representative to see how this process is working. Okay? There's many churches involved, and you're still going to have those people in Corinth throwing accusations. But the accountability is already in place by this preacher who everybody knows. He's a gospel proclaimer. He has a glorifying character. And he's traveling with the Apostle Paul and Titus for this gracious work, he calls it. But this gracious work will be administered by us. He will take care of the money. Okay, now let me, I, I want to close with two points, two subpoints, I guess. Okay, that you see listed here. It will be administered by us. Okay, Paul and Titus have seen this. Paul had been in Jerusalem. He saw the fiasco. He had been with Titus for a few years. All right. So they knew what was going on. They had heard. All right. So it's going to be administered by us. But look what he says. For the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness. Two reasons we are doing this accountability thing. See, we don't have a very big congregation. Okay, I, I think our yearly budget is about $50,000. Okay, I don't know. Is, is that right? 
<laughs> you tell me. I don't know. She looks. She she does adds it up. I, I don't. I don't know what it is. Okay, but it's not that big a number. All right, it, it, it's it's not that big a deal. All right, but I protect myself. Okay, not that I can't be trusted. They gave me a big wad of money to go to Orel. All right. It's not that I can't be trusted, but it protects anyone who would try to accuse me. I have no access to the accounts. I can't spend a nickel. All right. That protects me. Not that I can't be trusted, but it's because other people can't be trusted. And if they can find something to throw at me, they will. I've seen them. Anything. I mean, I got in trouble last summer because I rode into town without a helmet on. Well, what are you statement are you making? What? I didn't want to ride with a helmet. Why? It was like 95 degrees. I got a 300 degree motor stuck between my legs. I didn't wear a helmet. Well, what if you wreck? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Okay, you're the one who's going to be coveting. They said I'm trying to get at, but they'll throw these things. I've never seen anything like. So two reasons that Paul is doing this for accountability. One is he's taken this act of bringing this guy in who's a preacher because he wants no reproach to fall on Christ. Okay, I want no reproach to fall on his name. We don't want anyone criticizing how we handle money, nor make any false accusation that has a chance to stick. We can say we don't have it. The one of great fame known by all the churches appointed by the church is taking care of it. We are nothing but administrators. Okay, that is to maintain the glory of the Lord in what they were doing. We want the glory of the Lord to be seen to the saints in Jerusalem. See, we have this guy traveling with us so we can carry this operation out. This offering, uh, a, a generous offering, this gracious work is covered and no one can bring an accusation. The Lord is never dishonored. No accusation can stand because of the plurality of the leadership and also this one individual who is biased to all the churches. We take these steps also that you may see our eagerness. We have a plan that God has laid on our hearts. And it's evidently God's because all the church has it on their hearts to do this also. So the eagerness of the body of Christ at that time globally was being manifested in the Apostle Paul and Titus and this other brother. And it was being accountable because of that eagerness. We are going to meet the needs in Jerusalem and these steps are for the sake of the Jerusalem church. That's awesome. That is totally awesome. These are right reasons for the glory of the Lord and to show the eagerness of our heart. For the sake of the, of the Lord's name. 
I would like to see us. I would like to see Castle Rock Baptist Church completely fund the summer camps this year. Okay. I believe it's in our means. Okay. But I'm praying about it. That is my heart. That is my passion. All right. I would like Valeri to send me a goofy one of his smiling pictures. Telling us how great it was. And then it would really rock my universe if some of you guys would step up and say, you know what? I'm going to take my summer vacation at the DACA in Orel, where the lake is and the shower house is and the kids are being reached with the gospel of Christ. And that these kids who can't speak your language or maybe bits and pieces will see that here is this stranger on the other side of the planet who has a love for their Lord so much they want to see me come to get to know him. I'd like to see that too. Okay? And if I can't have those two, I'll take the second coming. <laughs> Listen, the right reasons is because if I show my earnestness, then I'm understanding the purpose of giving and the joy of this giving. I'm also seeing the glory of the Lord. We have accountability of our finances and our finances demand honesty. Listen, we are in a society, people, that are, uh, I forget, a guy made a statement, and it's stuck in my mind, is our society is consumed by consumption. And, and when he said that, I was like, man, that hit, poof, nail, right, ding, on the head. I mean, we can call it materialistic, we can call it self-indulgent, we can call it the love of money. And, and, and you know what? I know it's the love of money because look at all of the evil it is producing. I talked to my cousin uh, the other day in Ohio. She said, your state's being aired in Colorado on our commercials in, in Ohio. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah. And he says, there is a company that will pick you up at DIA and take you to any ski resort in Colorado. And give you pot all the way up. Calling it the Rocky Mountain. <laughs> you just sit there and go, you think I 70 screwed up now? <laughs> Wait till those buses start going. <laughs> Jeez. It produces all kinds of money. Why? It's the love of. And you know what? That's our society. That's our society. You know what? I call it robbery. That's what our society is. And listen, what I mean by robbery is in so, covers so many things. Cheating on your income taxes is robbery. Okay? All the way down to armed robbery. Embezzlement. Thieves. It's basically our culture. It is tough. It is tough in our culture to not to see thieves. You know, the other day I was sitting there and uh, I did the quick checkout thing at Safeway. And, and, and I looked in the little change dish and there was money in it. Okay, it's just change. Somebody forgot to take their change. And I looked at that and I reached in there and I grabbed it. And I walked over to the attendant and I said, somebody forgot their change and laid it down there. And the guy says, you're giving that? And I was like, well, it ain't mine. That's stunning. I walked outside of the credit union one day uh, over here south of town and I looked just looked down and there was a bill folded up and I picked it up unfolded it it was a hundred God gave me a tip (laughs) 
Now, if it had been changed, I'd have taken it back in. No. <laughs> Miraculous giving. I took it back into the cashier. I said, somebody's going to come in here looking for a $100 bill. Uh, you may want to, you know, give it to them. Well, did you? Yes, yeah, there's that right there by the. I mean, it's not like there's a bunch of banks around. There's a credit union. If somebody comes back to the credit union, see if they found a $100 bill, you can give them back to them. Why? Still thief. Now, if the person came up to me and said, here, take a hundred, I'd say he's crazy. <laughs> okay, Paul, I, I, you see this in a church. We don't need scandals. We don't, there's scammers everywhere. Okay, I, I mean, I see it all over the place. I mean, that, that one church, in, they play Pink Floyd's money for the offering. And I'm sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. You know, but if you go look at the church, he, he rides up on a stage on a Harley and it's time to give. They have home mortgages you can get through the church and you got all this stuff going on. I'm like, well, I got potential for ugly everywhere. Paul wanted none of it. So he chose a man that was affirmed by the churches as appointed by all the churches. And it secured the confidence to defend against any false accusations. We are to guard ourselves. So, and I'll pick up the rest of this next week. The integrity of stewardship is voluntary. It's of the heart. It's not a command. It is to be finished. It is to be faithful. It is to be as one has. Okay. It is balanced for the body to help the, the, the body of Christ. It is because of submission to the leadership that God has put over us. And it is for accountability. Okay. We'll pick up the second part of this next week. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his diligence for the things that you set before him. Father, may each of us be diligent for the things you set before us. Help us, guard us, Lord, protect us, that we have an accountability that even when the accusers will come, we are covered and we are guarded. Thank you, my King. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my Savior. To your glory and praise. Amen.